If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the one verse we're going to be looking at uh, is listed for you in the bulletin as well. And again this morning, as we wrap up this season of Lent, we're going to take ourselves to an incredible mountain where the greatest sermon that was ever preached, preached by Jesus, that Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing is really fascinating. He's He's talking to folks who uh, understood religion. They understood a bit of the Old Testament. And he's using this interesting contrast. He says, you know what? You have heard it said, either with their reading of the law or hearing the law read, or even by some oral traditions, you have heard it said, but, but Jesus is God's son, the ultimate prophet who, who speaks as God because he is God, says, but I'm going to say to you, Let me tell you how it really is. What an incredible sermon that has a way of penetrating all of our hearts is God himself and God's word and flesh is going to reveal to us. What is God's requirements of us? Maybe the most important question in your entire educational process is the question, will this be on the test? Right? I mean, Will this be on the test? I mean, every one of us has probably asked that or hoped that somebody in the classroom will ask that because it's usually at a point where you're hearing a lecture, you're getting some new information, and you really want to know how important is this stuff? I mean, is this really important? How much do I have to pay attention? Because am I going to be judged on this? Is this going to be on the test? Is this going to be something that's going to affect my grade? Basically, what we're asking is, Do I really remember this stuff? Is this stuff really important? Well, as we've been journeying through uh, this sermon, uh, the Mount, uh, this Lent season, we look at a bunch of people who are really kind of asking Jesus, hey, will this stuff be on the test? Or Jesus has a way of saying, well, let me tell you about the ultimate test. Let me tell you what God really requires of us. And they they were looking at God's law and they had a way like we always do when we try to self-justify. They had a way of trying to lower God's standards and they had a way of trying to elevate their own abilities. They were people that I describe of seven out of 10. They got seven out of 10, right? They were probably a lot better than some of their neighbors. Uh, they were fairly moral people. And they were basically looking at God and his law saying, hey, at the end of the day, right? I mean, God's going to look at my life. And he's going to say, well, there's more good than there is bad. And so that we get in, we, we're, we're okay, right? Let's hit pause. It's amazing how pervasive that thought is. It's amazing. Really, religion is wrapped around with the thought that somehow I could do enough. Somehow I could take enough of the test or, or pass enough of the test or, or get enough of it right that God will say, it's okay. I know you got some errors. I know you messed up, but it's okay. And then Jesus, as he's unpacking this, and because there was a confusion saying, well, I think I'm okay because I haven't murdered anybody. But he says, listen, if you hate somebody, you're not okay. And those people said, you know, I think it's okay because I I haven't actually committed adultery. He says, listen, if you've lust in your life, it's not okay. And there's people who say, well, I love those that are like me. I love my neighbors and I hate my enemies. He said, well, that's not okay. You got to love everybody. And at this end of this passage where he's talking about love and love that's a way different standard than we ever could think, not just love those who are like us, but love our enemies. Jesus is going to do one of those microphone drops. 
is going to kind of wrap this whole section up and says, by the way, it's all on the test. And by the way, it's all important. And here's how he's going to say it. Be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And drop the mic. And everybody's like, seriously? That is the standard? Yes. But we got to realize that Jesus said something amazingly beautiful at the beginning of this. As he, as he says now, hey, be perfect as the heavenly father is perfect. He begins this whole dialogue by saying this. Hey, don't think that I came to abolish the test. Don't think that I said that there's, there's not a test. It's not important. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Don't think that that's a God in the Old Testament of God of wrath and the new God of grace is here. This is one true living God. Don't think it. He says, Jesus says, listen, I've come not to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Instead of those people are asking, is this going to be on the test? He's basically saying, I'm the one who came and I'm taking the test for you. I'm the one who came to take it for you and to fulfill everything that you couldn't do. I will do for you. Not only did he come and have the audacity to say that he's going to fulfill the law, but he's the one who says, I'm going to rightly interpret the law for you. I'm the word of God in flesh. You've heard it said, but let me tell you how it really is. See, what this whole passage does, all of us, we got to start here. We got to continue here. We never leave here. What this whole passage does is it looks at God's law and it drives us to the gospel. It drives us to the hope that there's good news apart from us. You see, a lot of us hope that, that, that maybe God will judge on a curve because we're seven out of 10. But God doesn't judge on a curve. God judges on a cross. And that's the gospel and the good news of Christ Jesus. So let's, let's look to God's word. Let's pick it up where we left off. I actually think I included it last week in last week's sermon. Matthew 5, verse 48. This is God's word, even in one sentence. Uh, this is God's word, holy and errant, never to lead us astray. Hear the word of the Lord. You, this is emphasized in the Greek. You, therefore, Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, every week I stand before your people and ask you to do that which only you could do. To speak through a broken sinner like me. There's never been a morning where I need that reality and that grace and the power of your spirit more than this Sunday. We're looking at this one sentence that Jesus would utter. This one challenge for us to be perfect. And Father, you know the truth of this preacher. You know how far I fall daily. How imperfection is such a part of my story, my thoughts, my life, my words, and my deeds. So God, we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. So would you be pleased to come and speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you be gracious in the power of your spirit? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth and your love? And would you be so powerfully with us that you would give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. 
God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But God, the things that are said that are true, even when they're hard, but when they're true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his glorious, holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline for you if you want to follow along with me. As we look at this, the first thing we're going to see is it's pretty black and white, is not? Is it not? There is a command of perfection. Perfection is what God demands. And if we look closely at this and if we start to understand who, it, who God is, of course he demands perfection. Why? Because God is perfect. I mean, God is holy. I mean, God is, is without sin. As a matter, matter of fact, the book of Habakkuk would say his eyes are so pure that he can't even look on sin. You see, God, because of his being, his character, it demands perfection. All of his actions demand and reflect perfection. God can't lower the bar. It seems like we go to God oftentimes and we ask him to do the impossible. We ask God to do something that God could never do, and that is lower his standards. One of the things we know about God is that he is, big word, immutable. Immutable God means he is an unchanging God. God is the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same forever. We, we know that about God. There's, there's no shadow of turning with God. There's none. There's no chance that we're going to wake up tomorrow and he'll be different than he is today. We could bank on that reality. And well, the reality of an unchanging God is this God is holy. And this God, in his holiness, he de demands perfection or nothing. There's no consolation prizes. Oftentimes we think, well, at the end of the day, I mean, God knows. He sees how sincere I am. He knows how hard I'm trying. I'm a whole lot better from everyone else. Maybe I chose the wrong door, but I'm sure I'll depart with some parting gifts. Religion will try to tell us that we could do work hard enough or be good enough for God to accept us. But there's something here that says it's not true. It's perfection or nothing. Throughout the call of scripture is a call for us to be holy. I mean, God would make us in his image. He'd make us in his likeness and in, in his uh, reflection. When he sees us, he sees him. And because he's holy, he's made us holy and originally. Then we, we fell and uh, we're sinful. But still the call is there. He would say throughout scripture in the Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament, be holy as I am holy. Be blameless. Live your life with a reflection of me. Okay. So what's God's standard? Perfection. How are you doing? Houston, we have a problem here, right? And we got a problem. Uh, and the law was given, what, what Jesus is so beautifully doing to those who are trying to justify themselves, so beautifully, he's, he's holding the law up to them like a mirror. He's like, let me show you what really the law says. Let's use this as a mirror to examine our lives, to drive each one of us to realize how quickly that none of us is perfect. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I don't think I need scripture to tell me that I'm not perfect. Seems like the mirror tells me every time I look. Seems like my life tells me every time I, I turn around, it seems like every thought, word, and deed just screams imperfection. Isn't that the reality with you as well? And yet you have God 
who knows the truth about us, who won't lower his standard saying, let me tell you what the call is. The call is to perfection. And he knows it's a level we can't, can't make. If we could perfectly fulfill the law, well, we accept this and that, but we can't. So what is he doing? Why, listen, why would God give us a command that's so impossible to make? It's gracious. Because God's saying, you got a problem you can't fix. And it's a problem you can't make in and of yourself. You got to look for, you got to look for news that goes beyond yourself. You got to look for hope that is not in you. You got to have hope that God will provide something that you can never provide. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the second point is this, the promise of perfection. I have enjoyed the Lent season, but one of the things I'm going to enjoy the most that we won't do anymore is read that law, 10 commandments each and every week. It's been killing me. And you can see how Jack reads it. He reads it so slow, so thoughtful. I mean, seriously, he's the first one. You shall have no other God above me. I'm like, okay, I'm guilty. You know, I started thinking today, I wonder if I've ever had God in his rightful place for a second. You see, I'm so comfortable on his throne. I'm so comfortable wanting to be my own God and be my own one who's, who can bring life or, or, or what this creation can offer. As we've read through the, the 10 commandments, I've become undone. And I realize it's not one I've broken. It's not two. It's, not, it's all of them. Habitually, it's slain me. But you see the incredible good news of the gospel. Listen, the incredible good news of the Bible is this, that in Jesus, in Jesus, God's commands become God's promises. I, scary, incredible good. But let me say it again. In Jesus, God's commands become God's promises. Everything that God requires of us, God provides for us in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. The tense of the Greek here is rightly translated, be perfect. And by the way, you is emphatic. You be perfect. But this interesting tense will shall be, really can be translated, you shall be perfect. It's both a command and in Christ Jesus, it's a promise that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, you will be, you are perfected in Christ Jesus. That's the only way that we can be perfect. Let me give you a couple of ways that we're perfect in Christ Jesus. First of all, it's this perfection in Christ, perfect in his election, perfect in his election. It says for us in Ephesians chapter one, verses four and following, like really four through 11, an amazing passage. It said that before God created anything, before the story really unfolded, before even heaven and earth was created, before that we rebelled and messed up, it says that before the foundation of the world, that God would choose us. He would predestine us to be in Christ Jesus and to be holy and blameless. It's basically saying before, before you made a mess and before I made a mess, God made a decision. And God made a decision that in Christ, we would be, we would be holy, set apart, and we would be blameless. That in election, that is what we are. And as Jesus is holy and blameless, that, that we can be as well. Spurgeon, as he preached on this, talked about an acorn. He said, in this one acorn is the power, 
the power for an entire forest of trees. And it's true. You, you should marvel at the reality that in one acorn, in the right soil, and the right condition, there is the power for a forest in that one. And what this passage is saying is that in Christ Jesus is the power and the ability of God to take one who is perfect and make us all perfect. Perfect in election. But this only way that happens is perfect in redemption. Because we are a mess. What we need, we need a perfect sacrifice with a perfect result. Let me take you to one of my favorite passages. Hebrews 10, 14. It's one of those stunners. It's one of those ones that, that if, you're, if you're wrestling with your own depravity and sinfulness, it's one of those ones you've got to complete, continually go back to. Because it says this. It says that in one sacrifice, and it's talking about the cross, in one sacrifice, God has made forever. It's a, it's a perfect tense. It's done deal. God has made perfect forever those he's making holy. It's one of the most fabulous paradox I've ever read. It's one of the most fab, fabulous paradoxes of who we are as Christians. That in Christ Jesus, in this one perfect sacrifice, this spotless lamb of God, the God who would come and shed his blood for us, he has made us forever perfect. Done deal. And he, by the way, he is the one who is making us holy. A continued deal. A perfect sacrifice. It's basically saying this. In Christ Jesus, we're perfect and we're getting better. Not a bad thing, huh? Perfect and getting better. What a cool analogy. But it's for the perfect result. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I don't know if I preach a sermon where I don't mention 2 Corinthians 5.21. But it says this. It says that God pleased him to take him who knew no sin, Jesus to become our sin, that Jesus, the righteousness, the righteous one would become our sin so that in him, we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is saying that we have more than just the righteousness of man. This is saying that God gives us the righteousness of God, his perfection on the cross. That's why we read this law of Lent in this Lent season. We should be like, please come Holy Week. Please come cross of Christ. Please come sacrifice because I can't do it. But in that sacrifice, our imperfection is changed to perfection in Christ Jesus. Then the promise of, of perfection is realized in salvation. When we are in Christ, the Bible makes a distinction. And it will say of all people that we, the whole world is in one of two Adams. You're either in Adam and in sin and brokenness and despair and apart from relationship with God. Or you're in Christ. You're considered in Christ that, that by God's grace through faith, you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior. Now that in Christ, he sees you robed in his righteousness. He sees you forgiven and free. He sees you as his own. What an incredible realization for those of us who are in Christ. Read through scripture. And it's not just individually perfection in Christ. It's corporately. That's the way he sees you. I, I know you're like me. We read scripture and, and rightfully in many ways, we take those promises internally. We make them our own. But we've got to realize he's talking to his church, his bride. And this is what he says about the church in Ephesians 5, 27. Together as a church, we will be presented. We will be presented spotless without wrinkle or spot. You feel spotless? How many wrinkles in your life? How many spots in yours? And yet in Christ Jesus, this is how he sees his bride. Man, she's beautiful. Don't talk back about, bad about her. 
man, robed in my son's righteousness. She's glorious, forgiven, and free. You know, I think that it's helpful for us to get a couple of terms that we use oftentimes around Christianity and to help us to understand this. And the first one is justification. For anyone who is in Christ, this word justification is basically that if you are in Jesus, you and I, we've been declared not guilty. Of course we're guilty. All of us have sinned and fallen short. But in Christ Jesus, the bar has been met. His perfect life was enough. The sacrifice was enough. We have been declared. God will forever declare us not guilty. That's that perfection part. The penalty and the power of sin has been removed. And then you have this word sanctification. And this is that God is working in us. His spirit is working in us to make us more like Jesus, to make us better. We're perfect in getting better. I tell you, sometimes I feel like I've gotten this much better at all. And this is an ongoing process. This is starts and stops, fits and failures, tripping and bumbling and stumbling. And if sanctification is up to me or up to you, give up. But I love the fact that it says it's God working in you. And the last thing is, is glorification. In Romans chapter eight, it talks about this golden chain. Those he justified, he will also, past tense, glorify. And it's basically this. There's a time coming that you and I will see Jesus and he's going to remove even the presence of sin. He's going to even remove the possibility of sin. Oh, the glorious day that we will truly be like him. My favorite devotional is from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon's morning and evening. He's a, uh, they call him the Prince of Preachers. He preached in London in the 19th century, about the mid 1800s. And today's April 2nd. If you didn't know him, learn one thing. Today's April 2nd. It's April 2nd, isn't it? Two days is April 4th. It's my favorite devotional is April 4th, but I'm going to read it to you. Would you lean into this? Listen to how Spurgeon describes this incredible sacrifice for us. Listen to what he describes out of 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says this, morning Christian. He doesn't say good morning. He means, are you sad? Are you mourning? Why are you weeping? Are you mourning over your own corruptions? Look to the perfect Lord and remember you are complete in him. You are in God's sight as perfect as if you had never sinned. No more than that. The Lord, our righteousness has put a divine garment around you so that you have more than the righteousness of man. You have the righteousness of God. Oh, you who are sad and mourning over reason of inbred sin and depravity. Remember that none of your sins can condemn you. You have learned to hate sin, but you've also learned to know that sin is not yours. It was laid on Christ's head. Your standing is not in yourself. It's in Christ. Your acceptance is not in yourself, but it's in the Lord. You are as much accepted of God today with all your sinfulness as you will be when you stand before his throne, free from all corruption. Oh, I beseech you, lay hold of this precious thought, perfection in Christ. For you are complete in him. With your Savior's garments on, you're as holy as the Holy One. Who is it that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yes, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? Christian, let your heart rejoice. For you are accepted in the beloved. What do you have to fear? I love this. Let your face forever wear a smile and live near your master. Live in the suburbs of the celestial city. For soon when the time has come, you shall rise up where Jesus sits and reign at his right hand. And all this because the divine Lord was made to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a command 
perfection that none of us can meet. But there's a promise of perfection that Jesus has met for us. And lastly and thirdly, what's our focus of our imperfection? What do we focus on with our imperfection? New York Times uh, op-ed editor uh, or, uh, ran a, an article basically looking at an article with a guy named Wilfred McClay wrote called The Strange Persistence of Guilt. It's very interesting. Basically, the, art, the article will say, religion is in retreat, but guilt seems as powerful as ever. It's basically saying that, hey, there was a thought that if you take God out of the marketplace, you take God out of the school, and you basically declaim uh, what Nietzsche would say, that God is dead. And if God is dead, then pretty soon you'll be living a life that you don't have to feel guilt anymore. You don't have a God who's oppressing you, and eventually you're going to have all this joy because you don't have to feel guilty anymore. And here's the reality. There's more guilt now than ever. Here's what it says. We live in a world in which we are still driven by inextinguishable need to feel morally justified. Yet we have no clear framework or set of rituals to guide us in our quest for goodness. Worse, people have a sense of guilt and sin, but no longer a sense that they live in a loving universe. Do we ever think that? But marked by divine mercy, grace, and forgiveness. There is sin, but no formula for redemption. It's basically saying this. Hey, this guilt thing is not just for Christians. This guilt thing is all of us. None of us is perfect and all of us feel guilty about it. And you take away Christ and there's just no formula of hope. You take away, religion can't solve this. Religion, the guilt remains. The only way to solve our guilt problem is to focus on Jesus. Without the gospel, we have no hope. It's the only cure. So let me ask you this. I want to talk to you specifically, those of you who are Christians. Those of you who have given your life to Christ and you're in Christ Jesus. What do you do with your imperfection? You know what I've realized? Is I've realized I have this good news of joy that Christ has set me free. But this, this deficit that still remains in my life and this brokenness, somehow I have the absurdity to go back to the law that could never set me free and say, but I think this can make me feel better. I do it this way. If I could just work harder, if I could just do more, if I could just be a better man, if I, if I just didn't mess up as much. And I go back to the law and say, please make me better instead of run back to the gospel and say, thank you for what you've done. I have this habitual tendency to just work harder and try to fix what I can't fix. We have a problem we can't fix, but only the gospel can. It reminds me of the story. I think I've shared it before, but it's one of my favorites. I was up in my study and I was praying and I'm telling you, it was a great prayer. I mean, I've prayed this prayer often and it was a prayer that I was praying that God would make me more holy. I was praying and I was praying fervently in the name of Jesus. I was like, God, please, I'm not asking for a bigger church. I'm not asking for fame. I'm not asking for fortune. I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would make me a more holy person. And why aren't you answering this great prayer? And in silence, I really had an answer to the prayer that was one of the most astounding answers and the quickest answers I've ever had in my life. I mean, I almost came a charismatic. Not that I heard him. I was like, oh my goodness. Because God in his spirit whispered in my ear, he says, you know what, what? I'm not answering that prayer because you're not answering that, asking that prayer for me. You're asking that prayer for you. You see, you want to be more holy because you want to stop self-loathing. And you want to feel better about yourself. And you want to feel better about the gap that still exists between a holy God and sinful man. And you're looking at yourself and not to me. And I'm telling you, it hit me like a lightning bolt. 
and I realized the sin that I was in and I started to pray a prayer of confession. And I prayed this confession. I said, God, would you forgive me? Would you please forgive me for praying a prayer of holiness? Would you ask, forgive me that I was asking for this? And then I started thinking, there has never been a greater prayer ever uttered. What kind of holy person ask a prayer that God would forgive his prayer for holiness? And you know what happened? Immediately I became prideful. I mean, immediately like, I was like, oh my gosh, I am a mess. I am so prideful. I just sat there and said, Lord, can you really love someone like me? You see, I've realized that I need to repent, not only for failing to meet the mark of perfection of sin. That's easy. I have to repent of all the ways I've tried to bridge the gap. That's not Jesus. All the ways I've tried to turn from the gospel and try to be self-sufficient in myself and justify myself. You see, when it comes to the law and when it comes to this, to God's standard, it's all on the test. It's all the bar is perfection or nothing, but Jesus came to take the test for us. He fulfilled the law. Jesus came to, to die on the cross and he took our shame. He took our guilt and our brokenness for failing to meet the law. He became the curse so that we could become the blessing. And in Christ Jesus, he's perfected even you and me. And he's making us better. And he gave us a meal to remind us of the sacrifice that was needed, that God would take him who knew no sin to become our sin. So that in Christ Jesus, we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Come to the table, Christian. Come in and remember. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that you, Father in heaven, are perfect. And God, I thank you that your character and your actions demand perfection. Thank you for your grace that you didn't lower the bar. Instead, you sent your son to come and to meet all the requirements of holy God. All that God requires of us, God provides for us through Christ Jesus. And in this spotless lamb of God, your law is fulfilled. The perfection is met. And in the incredible cross of Christ, you took those who were imperfect and put our sins on the perfect ones so that in Christ, we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you gave this meal to your disciples because you knew that they would forget this reality. You, know, you knew that they would turn to other things other than the gospel to try to justify themselves, even after they've been set free. And so, Father, would you use this meal, the power of the Spirit come? Would it come and would it remind us of your calling on our life? To the one who's never embraced you, Holy Spirit, would you hold up the law and the reality and show them that they've fallen short? And would you run to them, to them with the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And for the rest of us who are yours, would you feed us and strengthen us? Would you remind us how deeply you love us through this meal? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.